Amen. Thanks, team. Good morning, church. Good to see you all this morning. My name is Justin, one of the elders, pastors here at Peninsula Grace. Excited to be diving into God's Word together. We've been going through Acts. We're only a couple weeks away from finishing up the series. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts 18 this morning. The verses on the screen will be in the CSB or the Christian Standard Bible. Um, but you can choose your version that, that um, God didn't choose. But no, I'm just kidding. That's... That's not nice. So, um, man, out of the gates, just want to say happy Mother's Day um, to all the moms out there. And, you know, it's been a sweet one for us. Uh, Jill's first one, our first as her being a mother. So it's just been exciting for us and been amazing for me to watch God transform her uh, into a mom. Uh, This is a wonderful day to, to celebrate wonderful mothers. And we do that. We also recognize this is a painful day for many. And for many different reasons, Um, you know, for some of us, it's an unhealthy relationship with our mothers, or maybe as a mother, one with a a wayward child. Uh, We know that there is the pain in this room of of not being able to be a mother. We know the pain of losing a child, struggling, maybe, of do I stay at home? Do I go to work? What's my meaning and significance as a mom now? And maybe just the day-to-day hardships that motherhood can bring in general. And I think the complicated nature of of these kind of things really speaks to the deeper struggles that we have. Um, I don't know if if you're like me. Does anybody here struggle with contentment? Just like what it means to actually just be content right now, right where we are. I I know one of the lessons it seems like God is teaching me over and over again is to, to, to learn what it means to be content right where I'm at today. And maybe for us, it's like, well, my job is just too hard, or it's too easy, right? It's too mindless. Or maybe it's like, my state is too cold, right? Move somewhere warmer where God is, right? But that person, that person's treating me like a duty head, right? And that's the worst word I'm allowed to use in in the pulpit. Um, My my daughter, it's 4 a.m. and she's still screaming, right? Pure hypothetical situations like those. Um, Man, there, there are times when, when, I, when I feel like, God, why do you have me in this season? There, there's times when I can feel like this guy. Now, I'm not actually talking about Aladdin. I'm talking about this guy down here at the bottom. <laughs> do you know who that guy is? Yeah, me neither, right? He's just an extra in the movie. He's not even in the credits. Like, the dude with the red hat, you can't see his face. Like, that's not in the credits. Uh, But we, sometimes, man, we can feel like, I am sick of everybody. Like, there's the people in the spotlight. Oh, Prince Ali, right? Fabulous he, right? Like, big deal. Like, we don't, I'm not even a boo. Like, he, I'm not even the, the, the thing that the main character is stepping on, right? I'm a nobody. And what do we do when we feel unimportant, when we feel unseen, when we feel insignificant, when we even at times feel abandoned by God? We've got the extras blues. We're going to learn this morning. Uh, there are no small roles. There are just small disciples, if you will. How do we find contentment when life's circumstances do not appear to be going our way? How do we, we're going to say it this morning this way, how do we bloom where we're planted? This morning we're going to zoom in on a couple in Acts 18. That would be easy to mix, miss. Like if, if Acts was a movie, they would be sidekicks at best, maybe even extras. We're not going to follow main character Paul this morning. We're going to zoom in on this couple, but I believe God has some 
extraordinary things to teach us about what appears to be a very everyday, ordinary couple and what it means to find contentment in Jesus today. How do we bloom where we're planted? Let's look to God's word for a couple of principles. So number one here, trust God has you here on purpose. Trust that God has you here on purpose. We're going to rejoin Paul on his second of three missionary journeys. So this is kind of the itinerary. Uh, in, weeks, in, in chapter 17, he was in Athens, and now he's moving just down the street to Corinth, where he's going to meet a couple of new buddies. So let's pick up the story in Acts 18, verse 1. After this, he left Athens, went down to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So what's going on here? They've been kicked out of Rome. It says Claudius, who's actually the emperor, just a few years earlier, history tells us that in about A.D. 49, a few years earlier than, than Acts 18, the emperor essentially kicked all of the Jews out of Rome. Now, of course, Rome is the a capital up there in the top left of the Roman Empire. And, and what was happening was, as we've seen in Acts, a lot of the Jewish people have rejected the idea of Jesus as Messiah. And so they're starting to fight with those who claim that Jesus is the king, that he is the one that they've been waiting for. And so, remember as a kid, when if you were growing up and you, you had siblings and you were fighting with your siblings and your mom and dad were like, you know what? I don't even care whose fault it was. Everybody outside, right? You stop your bickering and go out and jump on the trampoline for six hours. Was that just me? I'm going to work through that in therapy soon here. Uh, Claudius just says, you know what? You're all gone, right? He kicks them all out of Rome, and, and he tells them all to go. And, and so Cla uh, Aquila and Priscilla relocate uh, down the way to Corinth. Now, Corinth, interestingly, is, is a pretty crazy place. Um, it would, the Bible word would be, it was known for its debauchery, or we would say today sexual deviance. In fact, even the church in Corinth, our first and second letters to the Corinthians from Paul, even talks about how jacked up people in the church were. I mean, this, this place was, was super messed up. In fact, Longenecker, he describes Corinth as a rip-roaring town where none but the tough could survive. Not an easy place for these refugees to relocate. So we put ourselves in Aquila and uh, Priscilla's shoes for a second. You get a police officer comes to your door today and says, you know what? We're kicking all the Christians off of K Beach Road. Like, you're all out of here, and we're going to relocate you to Las Vegas, right? Sin City. Now, how many of you are like, yeah, Lord, here am I. I'm going to rebuke you later, right? Oh, words with you, you gambler. No, that's, that's sorry. That was not nice. So we see here that they have relocated to this rough town, Corinth. And verse 3 says, Paul came to them, Aquila and Priscilla. Verse 3, and since they were of the same occupation as Paul, tent makers by uh, trade, he stayed with them and, and he worked. So they have the same job as, as Paul, we see here. And, and it's a tent maker. It actually might be a little bit more specifically correct to say a leather worker. Um, often they translate it this way because the main thing that they would use with leather was tents. But you can also use leather to make awesome jackets, right? It's uh, another way to... <laughs> um, so we, how easy, though, we see in, in this time... Um, Aquila and Priscilla were seen as, they were blue-collar workers, right, by trade. And in that society, the people that sweat when they worked, they were seen as kind of JV in society. They were marginalized and despised. So, so you think about Aquila and Priscilla. How easy would it have been for them to play the martyr card? 
that, man, we have been kicked out of our home. Now we're relocated in this crazy city. And people look down on us. They don't even treat us like citizens here. Like, woe is us. And that would be legitimate. There's, there's some legitimate complaints there, right? Like, I get frustrated when our Wi-Fi is slow at home. Right? Trying to stream the game, Lord. Consider it pure joy when you face trials, right? They, they are going through tough stuff here. But notice what, what they do. Verse 3 here. It says that Paul stayed with them and worked with them. They take Paul into their home and they give him a job. And I see Aquila and Priscilla here seeing, man, God's got us here for a reason. And they just simply start to bloom where they're planted. They, they, they take care of Paul. They, 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 they come alongside of him. And I see this principle that they're learning, that we need to learn, to trust that God has us where he has us on purpose. But how do we actually know that that's true? Like, how do we actually know that we're here on purpose, that we're not an accident, that we're not here by accident? Well, there's some specific promises that God gives us in his word. He gives some very specific promises to Paul here in a few verses. Paul is in another place and receiving more persecution and rejection for preaching the gospel. And he's getting stressed out. Like, even Paul gets afraid. And I love this sweet, tender moment from the Lord. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid. Like, Paul, I get it. Like, I know that it's easy to be afraid. But he says, keep on speaking. And don't be silent. Keep doing the good work. And and here's the promise that he makes to Paul. For I am with you. That's the key promise. The presence of God with Paul. And no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you. Why? Because I have many people in this city. He stayed there, Paul did, a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. So God gives him this specific promise. Paul, keep preaching the gospel because I have more fruit for you here and I'm going to protect you. Now you're like, awesome. Well, if God gave me a specific message like that, I'd keep on keeping on too. Justin. Stay in Soldatna. I've got 400 people that are going to come to know Jesus through your amazing preaching this next two years. Why did you laugh at that, Ryan? That's not nice. Um, Like, I would be like, sweet. Like, what a specific promise. Like, I'll stay here, right? But he often, we, we don't get those audible messages from God, but we do have some written messages from God and some specific promises and some specific purposes that he has for us today. One of the ones that's written down is, is to the letter of, a, of another church, just like ours, in Thessalonica. Another one that Paul met on his journeys. And he speaks to them as believers. And the purpose that God has for them, right where they are. And I believe as the church in Soldatna, we have these same purposes today. Look at what Paul says to this church. Additionally then, my brothers and sisters in Jesus, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus, that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God, as you are doing, do this even more. Keep doing the things I told you. And what did he tell them what to do? How they should live in a way that would please God. He goes on to say, for you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Uh, Jesus gave us commands. Paul's not in charge. He says, I'm passing along the commands that our Lord and Savior, Jesus himself, has given to us. And here he says, here's God's will for you. Are you ready for this? He says, for this is God's will. Here it is. Your sanctification. Now, that's a, sanctification is a big Bible word for the process of becoming more like Jesus be holy as he is holy. To to be with Jesus and to be like Jesus. That's God's will for us in our lives. He goes on to say, for God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Now he's not talking about a holier than thou attitude, 
What's he mean? What does holy living look like? Well, he explains it in the next verse. About brotherly love or sisterly love, you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. He says, you know what God's will for you is right now where you are today? It's to love the people around you. He goes on to say in verse 11, to seek to leave a quiet life. That word could be translated peaceful peaceful, quiet life, to mind your own business, the Bible's awesome sometimes, and to work with your own hands as we have commanded you. So what do you see? He says, you know what your, God's will is for you? Is to simply love the people in front of you and to work peacefully, which is exactly what Aquila and Priscilla are doing there in Corinth. They're just working their leather trade and they're loving the people in front of them like Paul. Then you're like, well, sure, I would, I, would, I would be able to continue on with a peace of mind if, if I had the promise like Paul got that nobody would hurt me, right? Verse 10, remember, God said, no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you. Like, man, that promise would be awesome, right? Well, first of all, keep in mind all the times that God has not made this promise to Paul. Like, how many times has he been in a town where he's been beaten and stoned and persecuted and abandoned, right, over and over? So let's not go out thinking we've got it rougher than Paul, okay? I've never been, had rocks thrown at me for preaching the gospel. Had some mean comments, but never a rock, right? Uh, sorry, again, I'm just kind of processing up here this morning. Thanks for listening. Uh, and while, listen, God doesn't, give us a, doesn't promise us a suffering-free life. In fact, the opposite. He says, you want to follow me? Just like your Savior, the road will be marked with suffering, but he does give his followers some amazing and specific promises of protection. He's talking to his disciples in Luke chapter 21. He says, you're going to follow me. And he makes some promises that at first don't seem like very comforting promises. He says, they will, will is a promise word, you, that you will even be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will kill some of you. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. Well, won't that get you to sleep tonight, right? But, look at what he says, but not a hair of your head will be lost. God says, if you follow me, like there will be a lot of people who reject the message because they reject me. There will be a lot of people, even some of the closest people in your life who will betray you. There will be some of you that will die for doing what I've called you to do, but... John, he says, you're in the grip of my Father's grace, and no one, no one can snatch you out of his hand. Our eternity is secure. Why is that? Well, Romans 8 goes on to make some, some beautiful promises to those in Christ Jesus. Paul says to the church at Rome, therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The reason we have hope beyond the grave is when we stand before that holy God one day, we don't have to cower, we don't have to fear, we can walk boldly and humbly into his presence. Why? Not because of how perfect of a life we lived, but because we're covered in the blood of Jesus. And he goes on to say in verse 31, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Like, God is in my corner. He loves me and accepts me in the same way that he loves his son, Jesus. And now, if the God of the universe is on my side, in my corner, then even when others betray me, even when life circumstances don't go my way, I can know that I stand on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. He says, for I'm convinced, nothing, nothing, not height nor depth, I didn't know any created thing 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Family, that is a specific promise of protection. Amen? And, and this is where Paul is operating from when he says, so that means today I can find my purpose, I can find peace and promise of protection in the loving promise of God that nothing can separate me from in Jesus. So what does this look like for us today? I want to give you the most encouraging sentence you've ever heard. God will be with you even if you're a monk doing the dishes. How's that? Is that, you're like, why? What, what do you, that's a weird thing to say, Justin. Um, let me explain. So there's a monk named Brother Lawrence, and his job was in the monastery to wash the dishes. And he wrote a book, kind of a memoir thing that kind of talks in the third person. It's kind of weird, but we'll, we'll stay with him. It's called Practicing the Presence of God, which is just a beautiful way to think about our lives, to practice the presence of God. He, that's how he defines prayer. And he says some helpful things for us today in, in this learning contentment. He says, Brother Lawrence thought it was a shame that some people pursued certain activities, mistaking the means for the end. So what's he saying here? Some, it's not about washing dishes. See, Brother Lawrence wasn't saying, well, I, can, I just love washing the dishes. Like nothing gets me out of bed in the morning, like scrubbing a pot, right? That's not the point. He says, don't, confu don't confuse your job, your home situation, whatever, with, don't make that the end. He goes on to say, he said that our sanctification, that process of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, does not depend as much on changing activities as it does on doing them for God rather than for ourselves. He says, you know what's going to make me happy? It's not upgrading. Like, I'm going from washing dishes to drying dishes. Like, I'm really moving up. Upward mobility here in the monastery, right? That's not what he's saying. Or, uh, he says, that's, that's not what's going to make me happy. It's learning how to find joy in the thing that I'm doing right now. He says, the most effective way Brother Lawrence had for communicating with God was simply to do his ordinary work. He says, I can commune with my father right here as I scrub this pot. He did this obediently out of a pure love of God, purifying it as much as was humanly possible. He believed that it was a serious mistake to think of our prayer time as being different from any other time. Our actions should unite us with God when we are involved in our daily activities, just as our prayers unite us with him in our quiet devotions. What's he saying? That we can find a sweetness in the presence of the Lord, not just in the morning quiet time with our Bibles and our lattes. There's actually a way that no matter what we're doing, no matter where we're working, no matter, no matter who we're with, we can actually realize we're in his presence and find joy. This is why Brother Lawrence was able to whistle while he, while he worked, right? That he says, I'm scrubbing this pot for you, God. I'm with you in this moment. And maybe you come in this morning with the sidekick blues, with the extras blues. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in the kitchen watching, washing dishes like Brother Lawrence, or you feel like Aquila and Priscilla, or you're, you feel abandoned and neglected. And you're saying, man, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Like, what, who am I? I'm just a slope worker. Or I don't even have a job. I'm a student trying to figure out what to do next. I'm not, I'm not funny. I'm not good-looking. I'm not wealthy. I'm not important. Like, who am I? Look at me. God created you on purpose. He created you on purpose. He didn't make a mistake. Your personality, your body, like, where you are, like, he didn't, he didn't mess up. And the beautiful truth is that we can bloom right where we're planted, who we are, and, and where we are. So what does that look for us, look like for us to, to do this, to bloom here? 
Well, for me, it's to say, you know what, God? You've got me in Sildatna, Alaska. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a husband and a father. I'm, a, I'm an elder. Maybe it's, God, I'm, I'm working at Marathon. I, I'm at home with the kids. And with joy, we wash the dishes. We swing the hammer. We work on the slope and do whatever you do with pipes. This is what I did in the first service. This is what I think slope workers do all day up on the... <laughs> I don't know. And you're in the office. Like, work that spreadsheet. You're at home changing those diapers, making those tents, working with that leather in the presence of God. Like working quietly and peacefully with our hands, becoming the hands and feet of Jesus, becoming salt and light to whoever God puts in front of us, loving the people that God has put in our midst on purpose in our homes, at our jobs, down our streets, in our churches. But then maybe you say, okay, so we bloom where we're planted, but do I have to stay planted there? Like, is it wrong to move? Is it wrong to relocate, change jobs, change my circumstances? Let's look at the second principle we learned from Aquila and Priscilla. We need to be ready to go and willing to stay. Ready to go and willing to stay. So the roller coaster ride continues for these two. I look at verse 18. After staying for some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. He says, you guys are coming with me. So they are like, all right, it's time to pull up stakes again uh, from the tent that they made. Verse 19, when they reached Ephesus, he left them there. What? (laughs) Record scratch. But he said farewell and added, I'll come back to you again if God wills. Then he set sail from Ephesus. So notice Paul says, all right, you've come from Rome. You were exiled in Rome. Now you're in Corinth. And now come on with me. We're going to move again. And then we're in Ephesus. He says, just kidding, and ditches them there in Ephesus as he continues on in his journey. So there's a roller coaster going on for Aquila and Priscilla going, God, what's the deal? Like, we're all over. Are you yanking our chain all around this empire or what? And they're learning the principle to be ready to go and to be willing to stay. A lesson, by the way, that Paul himself has learned in his own life, is learning in his own life. The Bible has kind of the, the book on joy, the letter to the Philippians. Ironically, Paul is writing it from a prison writing about joy as he's incarcerated. And, and I love, he says, man, I know I'm in jail, but God's using this. Like God's bearing fruit. I'm, I can bloom right where I'm planted. Like I, I'm chained to these guards. I've literally got a captive audience. They have to listen to me preach the gospel. They can't go anywhere. This is awesome. And then the other churches in, in the area were being encouraged because they're seeing Paul continue to bear fruit even when he's in prison. He can give them joy, but then he says something crazy. He goes, yeah, I may die in here. That may happen. And eventually, he does die, right? But look at what he says in in the first chapter of this letter. He says, for me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. He says, now, if I have to live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I choose. He says, I'm actually torn here. See, Paul has a hard decision to make like we do sometimes. He says, I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ. Like, that's far better. Because the the most joy I could ever receive is being in the physical presence of Jesus. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. You see what he's saying? He goes, this is a win-win. Like, either I get to go and be with Jesus, or I get to stay here and bear more fruit for Jesus, to see more people learn what it is to be with Jesus. Can you imagine actually having that, that, that as your attitude in life? 
Like, not just on paper. Like, of course, we'd agree with it. But, like, to actually live, to have my emotions, my thought life, my behaviors centered around this, this actual belief that, man, what I want to do is go be with Jesus. But if he's still got me here, that means I get to love on more people and point them to Jesus. Now, you might say, but that's, yeah, that's life and death. Like, that's relocating life and death. But what about, about changing jobs? What about moving out of state? What about altering my life in, in some way? Ecclesiastes has this principle for us. In Ecclesiastes 3, it says, there is a time for everything. Time for everything. In fact, to continue the analogy, it says there is a time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to plant and a time to uproot. And Apollos, Aquila and Priscilla are certainly learning this, right? There was a time when God had them moving, and there was a time when God had them staying. And I would say it this way. Unless God has specifically called us to stay or specifically called us to go, and sometimes he operates through the Holy Spirit convicts us and the word of God and the wise counsel around us. Like if you don't feel a specific conviction to go or stay, there actually is freedom there as a believer to go or to stay, to move or to, to remain where we are. But we don't get autonomy. In other words, self-rule. I don't get to just decide for myself what I do. Like my master is Jesus. He's my king, so I do what he says. Now, again, if we don't have that audible voice, we go to God and his word. And these principles show us what, what he really cares about. More than where we go is how we make these decisions, our priorities, and why we make these decisions, our motives. The priorities and the motives, the hows and, and the whys. Because there can be some, a couple different pitfalls to, that we can encounter here. One could be the illusion that, man, if I change the situation, I will be happy. And so we just continue to say, well, and, and there's some people who are just constantly, either it's changing churches every other week, moving uh, all the time, changing houses, changing jobs, changing states, thinking, well, I'm bored, I'm unhappy, I'll just move. And well, we know that's chasing the wind. Like, who has that actually worked for? But we can go the other way, too, where we say, well, I have to stay here. I, I cannot leave. I can never change situations. I can never change locations. In fact, I know I'm in God's will if I'm miserable. <laughs> there is wisdom at times to relocate. When we've had people honestly come to our church and say, I had to leave a church because it was an unhealthy situation. They weren't preaching the gospel, and they certainly weren't living it out. There might be a situation that even you're in this morning that is unhealthy and abusive and something needs to change. What we know is that God's priority for us is to be with Jesus and to become like Jesus and to help other people become like Jesus. And that our motive, the way Paul says it, is the love of Christ motivates me, spurs me on. So our, 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 as we're thinking through these things to stay or go, I'm asking questions like, man, how, consider the people around me. How does this impact my family, my wife, my kids, my extended, my relatives? Like, how does this impact our ability to love people and to share the gospel? Like, those are the things that should motivate us. Those should be our, our, our priorities. And then we need to learn to be willing to stay as long as God has us here, but ready to go the moment he says to go. Our heart here at Peninsula Grace is to send people out with the gospel. Whether that's going to Kasilov and Nikiski, 
whether that's going to the farthest reached unreached villages in Alaska or to the places in the world where nobody's heard the name of Jesus in their language before. Jesse talked about some of that last week in her heart amongst the Muslim people. I trained with a mission that sends people to the most unreached places on earth. And my heart, honestly, is still to go to those places where people have never had a chance. They've never even had a chance to hear the name of Jesus. And I'd go in a heartbeat. But I know God, for right now, has me pastoring in this place with the people I love, the people he loves. And so my, my prayer is if he doesn't send me, like my hope is that he'll send a hundred in my place. But listen, one of the biggest lies that we can believe is that if my circumstances changed, I would be happy. And I buy this lie almost every day. It's the if onlys, right? If only I was more like him. I had his personality, his situation. Maybe if I was more looked like her or, or what. If, if I didn't live in the coldest state in the world, right? But here's the problem. Wherever you go, wherever I go, I take me with me. And the reality is, if I'm not learning contentment right where I am, I'm not going to find it in that relocation. Like, it's just not going to happen, right? I'm in Alaska where it's cold and we got bears. I go to Arizona, it's hot, too hot, and there's scorpions, right? Like, we'll always find a reason to complain. And I, and I don't say this lightly, like, there are people struggling with depression in every town in the world, like, it's, it, it, the, the lie is that happiness is just around the corner. If I just moved, if I just got a, a raise, if I just changed the job, if our family situation was just tweaked a little bit, that's a lie. We are simply called to be faithful with who we are, where we are, for as long as we are there. So what's that look like for us? Most of the time, we're not being told, I have to stay or I have to go. But I'm telling you, we will only find contentment where we are in the present, because we can only rest in God right now. Like I can't rest in Jesus tomorrow, and I can't rest in him yesterday. I can only find rest and peace in Jesus in the present, just like our dishwashing brother, Brother Lawrence. No matter where we live, no matter where we work, you realize we're all exiles, right? Like we're all pilgrims. The Bible calls us resident aliens. This is not our home. This, this system of the world that we currently live in like, like we're, we're here to infiltrate with the light into the darkness. And there's a day coming when Jesus will come back and reign on this earth as king. And that's the, in his presence alone can we find joy, spiritually today and physically in a time to come. It's Jesus alone that can satisfy us. But how do we do that specifically? How, how do we live that out? Third principle, to love the person in front of you. Love the person in front of you. This is so cool. Once again, here are Aquila and Priscilla in a situation. They've been left behind in Ephesus by Paul. Instead of going, man, why didn't Paul bring us again? This stinks. They, they, they discover more purpose for them right where they are, to bloom where they're planted. Look at verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he knew only John's baptism. So we don't know exactly what he's missing here, um, but, but we know that he's still practicing the baptism. That, remember, we talked about this last week, if you're here with us at Acts 19. 
So he's missing something at the end of the story. He's preaching about Jesus, but maybe it's the resurrection and the ascension or the indwelling of the spirit that comes through being baptized in Christ. We, we don't know exactly what he's missing, but he does not have the full story. So look at what happens. Verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. He was preaching the truth, but he didn't have the full story. He's a gifted speaker. But, but he needs to know more, more truth, right? And so Aquila and Priscilla, they approach him. And I think there's two things here we can learn from them. And I love this. First of all, that they loved Apollos enough to tell him the truth. They loved him enough to tell him the truth. Now, notice that they, first they listen. It says they heard him, right? They heard, they listened first. And then as they're hearing him, I mean, this guy is good, but he's missing some key things here. Now, we don't nitpick with each other over every little disagreement, right? That's death by a thousand cuts, but if we, over time, as we're listening to people, as we see some glaring holes of truth in their life, we can lovingly, humbly come and speak, love them enough to speak truth. But then also notice the other principle, they told him the truth in a loving way. They told him the truth in a loving way. They didn't call him out in front of everybody, publicly scorn him, you ignoramus, right? That's the last time you used ignoramus in a, in a sentence, right? You're welcome. We, we don't need to embarrass people on social media in front of everybody. We don't need to embarrass people in front of a crowd. Like, there's an appropriate time and place and an appropriate tone. Apollos wasn't doing anything wrong. Right? He, he just, just was misinformed. They loved him in that. But look at the result as they are faithful to love the person in front of them. Look at what happens, verse 27. When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. Apollos has the full story now, and he can be unleashed to do great things for the kingdom. And Aquila and Priscilla are just doing the next right thing. They, they've been sitting in the synagogue weekly, just listening to, the, to these guys teaching, and they just love the person in front of them as God gives them opportunity. And what's so cool here is God uses this humble couple to come alongside Apollo and go, man, you've got this gift, but if we can gift you the rest of the story about Jesus, man, look at what you can do in his name. Now notice Aquila and Priscilla never become famous leaders, famous preachers in church history. But man, they did great things for the kingdom and impacted people like Paul and Apollos. And this reminds us that, man, Jesus uses every part of his body. That we're not all going to be spotlight mouthpieces for the kingdom, preaching and teaching and going to these far-off places as, as apostles, missionaries. But we're all called to be an important part of the body. Some of us are hands. But I think about some of the people here in the church that are serving that none of you all see. Week after week, I think about a brother like Doug who's out here early on January morning shoveling the way so that we don't crack a skull coming into church. I think about some ears in our body that listen, Maggie and Teresa, and people who just love hearing people's prayer requests, praying with them, weeping with those who weep. There's beautiful roles. There's some here who are good colons that have learned how to deal with people's so anyway, you, you, get, you get where we're going with this, and, and we'll just wrap up the illustration right there. Uh, but one thing that stands out to me in this story is one little word, and I think it's important. It's the word they. It says, after Aquila and Priscilla and Aquila heard him, heard Apollos, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. They did it together. 
And I think, I love that as a couple, as a married couple, they're doing this together. And there's a couple of principles that I see here. Number one, I think this affirms that God values men and women in his church and in discipleship. They were living in a patriarchal world where women barely counted for anything. And the idea that, that a man and a woman would be, would be pulling this guy aside and, and instructing him in God's word, that was blasphemy. So they would have been canceled, right, right away. And God is using men and women in his body to build the church. The second important thing here is the principle of a healthy home. Principle of a healthy home, because the reality is, and we cannot give away what we don't possess. We cannot give away what we don't possess. If Aquila and Priscilla aren't living in the truth, if they're not living out the truth of that in, in their marriage, in their home, how can they call other people into it? Now, please, I'm not talking about perfection, right? We know as a believer, like, this, is, this is the repentant sinner. This is, I, I messed up and needed Jesus, right? We're living that out honestly, repentantly before other people. But it starts with that healthy relationship with Jesus as an individual and as a physical family in our home and as a spiritual family in our church. We, we can only serve others from that solid foundation. Like how can Aquila and Priscilla talk to Apollos if they're not even on speaking terms with each other? Like the truth and love of Jesus will not ring true if they're screaming at each other all the time. You got that and they turn to Apollos. Hey, Apollos, how you doing, man? They will know we're Christians by our love, Jesus said, by the love we have for one another. This points us to the importance of a healthy, godly home. And yet, what did we talk about at the beginning? We need to learn how to bloom right where we're planted. Because, man, some of us, like all our homes all look different from one another's. Like some of us are, are, are in a season of singleness, whether it's a not yet married or a situation of being widowed or divorced. We know that there are all sorts of broken relationships with our children, with our, with our spouses, those who have not yet had children or can't have children. And there are as many challenges as there are people in this room today. The good news, the good news is that God can and wants to produce fruit in our lives in the exact season we're in right now. And you're not sidelined from doing the work of Jesus until things get a little bit better for you. You can love him and bloom in the season that he currently has you in, just loving the people in front of you, in your home, at the job, down the street, in the church. Now, the problem, if, if you're like me, like, that sounds great, but I know how terrible I am at loving the people in front of me. Like, I'm learning about selfishness, like, on, on, on super drive right now, super drive, I don't know, overdrive, I don't know, on right now, as, as, a, as a new father, as, as a husband. Like, how easy is it to come home at the end of the day and just want to do what I want to do instead of attending to the needs of my family? Like, I see that I am very caught up with this guy. So how do we love the people in front of us? There's one hope. Aquila and Priscilla were called, they were actually exiled out of their home. They were kicked out and had to move as strangers in a strange land. And the hero of our story, our hero of the story of, that, of, our, of, our, of, our, of history, also knows what it is to be sent from his home, to be exiled, to become a stranger in a strange land and dwell among us. That just like Aquila and Priscilla, he worked his humble trade quietly and peacefully in obscurity for 30 years. 
And then he obeyed his father and simply loved the people in front of him. He spoke the truth in love until it got him killed. And the seed of our Savior was planted into the ground, but it didn't stay there, did it? (laughs) Three days later, he bloomed right where he was planted to offer resurrection life, not just for him, but for us today too. And then as our seeds, as we die with Christ and are planted into the ground, die to self, what a joy to decrease and have him increase. And now our new life in Christ, we died and it was gain. Like we live with him now and in Jesus we can bloom wherever we're planted, amen? Like this is the good news. At the end of Paul's letter in prison about joy, he says, I've learned the secret of what it means to be content. And he says, you know what the secret is? And this is the famous verse, but we often take it out of context. It says, I can do it. I can endure whether I have everything or I have nothing, whether I'm rich or whether I'm eating stale bread in a prison cell. I can do all things in union with Jesus and the strength that he gives me. We're only going to find the ability to bloom where we're planted by resting in the grace of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we know that we we cannot give away what we don't possess. There's no way, Father, that we can love the people around us if we're not first receiving that love from you. So I just want to pray over the people in this room today, some that aren't following Jesus in this season. Maybe it's a believer that's been off the, the rails a little bit. Uh, Maybe it's somebody who's not yet following Jesus. Maybe it's somebody who's been following him and trying their hardest for a long time. We're all facing challenges in whatever season we're in. Father, that we'd pause before you and and to first receive love. Lord, 1 John says that this is love. Not that we've loved you, but that you first loved us. You are the great love initiator. And so, Father, that we would come before you today and, and really examine our hearts and say, Am I received? why do I believe God loves me? Or why do I believe he doesn't love me? For some of us, we think we're too bad for the gospel. There's no way God could love me. Look at the hard things I've done. Look at the, the terrible, sinful things I've done. There's no way that God could love me in that. Or maybe we've, we've just been trying to do it our own and we think we are good without him and living arrogantly and kind of on autopilot. You'd humble the proud and, and, and exalt the humble. Father, that we would receive your love and the hope that it brings us finding only on the grounds of Jesus' blood shed for us and his new life in us. That's our only hope, that we would come freely confessing our sin and receiving the gift of Jesus as our life, the ability to bloom where we're planted. Lord, that we would believe your heart is for us, not against us, that we can trust you have us here on purpose. And that because of that, we can be ready to go and willing to stay in whatever you're calling us into. And in the abiding of Jesus' love for us, we can love the people in front of us only by your grace through the victory of the risen Jesus. Can we claim these things? It's in his beautiful, wonderful, powerful name that we pray. Amen.